All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms
Hello, Canucks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation presented by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing. Go check out a bunch of their beer that's coming up for the springtime. My name is Chris Faber, and thank you for joining us this week for episode 65 of the Canucks Conversation. Joining me now, my co-host, who has been pretty lucky today, David Quadrelli. Chris, what's going on, man? I'm doing pretty good. We just came off the live stream, which was a lot of fun. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but uh, a couple things I wanted to mention before we start getting into it here. We're, we went for Italian food again today before mm-hmm. we started recording, but today was the first day where I mixed it up. We didn't get the exact same order every single we time. We did not. We did not. What did you think of my order as an Italian? I got uh, tortellini Alfredo. Is yep, that what I got? Yeah, okay. totally fair order. You know what? It's it's personally not for me. I like a good like red meat sauce. That's like where I... That's where I like to hang out. That's my favorite for sure. But, you know, nothing wrong with a nice white sauce either. It was good. It's, uh, I didn't skip the meatballs, though, because that's kind of our tradition is whatever yes. we get, we Order get two the meatballs. meatballs on the side. Yeah. Um, a guy who probably enjoys meatballs as well is going to be joining us on this show. Uh, I guess we'll do a little bit of a rundown. We're going to dive into some Jake Vertanen talk. We're going to talk about a few other things about this team as well, including some of the power forward situations, some other players that are available, maybe some trade bait talk. And uh, a couple other things about, you know, this team has been losing over the last little bit. Three-game losing streak right now, one of them in overtime. Uh, we'll get into all that, but as well in the middle of the interview, in the middle of the episode, we're going to feature an interview with Al Murdoch, who is the PA announcer for the Vancouver Canucks. We had a, about a 40-minute chat with him, actually. We're yes. going to include about 20 of it on this episode. And for our Patreon subscribers, which we just got another one as well, so shout out to our new Patreon subscriber. Uh, you guys can find the full 40-minute interview. We dive into a ton of stuff, but uh, before we get into it too much, what was your favorite part? about the Al Murdoch interview that stepped in it story was great and that's one yeah. you actually won't hear on the podcast guys I oh, hate to true. say it but it's the one it's part of the, it's one story that's behind the paywall so if you <laughs> subscribe to the patreon you can check out the whole interview where Al tells the story of when he pushed a pushed the horn he turned it on in the middle <laughs> yeah. of play when the puck was like in the neutral zone and he kind of talks about that how it happened and kind of Really, that was his big stepped in a moment. He went in depth on it, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, to that. I like that he talked about. You know, he's thinking about incorporating nicknames moving forward. I asked yes. him. I asked him if Jimothy Timothy Miller would be something he would pronounce. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he shut that down pretty quick. Um, but even like hearing that he was on the Need for Speed games and does like the three, two, one. That is go. that will be included in this interview, yeah. I think. And that is something that I was sitting in my chair and I was like, "That's the voice. That's the voice." <laughs> like I, I have heard that all my childhood, and it brought me right back. It was pretty awesome to get him here, and he's a former BCIT student as well, so he thought it was kind of cool to be able to be back in the studios here at BCIT. He said it's changed a little bit in the thirty-three years that he's been gone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's let's dive into some of the big stories of the week. Um, obviously, one of the bigger stories that I thought that you know was. Talked about quite a bit during the game, but not really talked about much after the game was Jake Vertanen answering the bell the other day when, you know, it was a clean hit on Antoine Roussel, a big open ice hit. But then Jake Vertanen goes in and dropped the glove. So what did you think about the whole spot? Well, you know what? That was the main topic coming out of that game against Boston. You know, Matt Grizzlick hits Elias Patterson. Patterson's out with a lower body injury. Jake had probably just found that out right before the puck dropped on that game against Minnesota. And there was a lot of talk about how the Canucks didn't go after, well, not go after, but they didn't really have much pushback against the Bruins or against Matt Grizzlick after that hit. And, you know, Pedersen was shaken up. It was a late, it was a dirty hit. Like, it was it was late. You can't hit a guy that far after. And Pedersen talked about it. Green talked about it. We'll get into Travis Green talking about it later. He's my he's my Zephyr Epic Canuck of the Week for sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good to see the a little bit of pushback. And, you know, Jake Vertanen answered the bell. What do you think that means for Jake Vertanen and his time on the first line? I mean, when he's playing with JT Miller and Elias Patterson, I mean, Jake Vertanen stepped up for Antoine Roussel, who got hit pretty hard. He fought a guy that was a little bit smaller than Jake, but would, would that kind of solve some of the problems of people saying that there's no one out there to protect Petey? 
It would. And that's the thing, right, is we've seen a lot of linebacker together, and we don't know yet how long Patterson's going to be out. I'm assuming, like, my personal, you know, I'm no doctor, but if he was out there taking warm-ups, it was kind of like, a, okay, let me see if I can do it. And then he realized he couldn't. Maybe he just needs a couple more days. The Canucks have a nice home stand here. It's better that he's healthy for the long haul and ready to go for playoff time, right? So hopefully he takes the time he needs, but hopefully he doesn't have to miss too, too many games. I'd like to see Jake back on that line, but I think with the injury to Pedersen, I think that kind of complicates everything yeah. because, you know, now Godette's on the first line, right? You really... Like, you really want your first line with Besser there, right? With Miller and Besser and Gaudette. That's a line that you really, you you want to keep together for until Pedersen's healthy, right? And then when Pedersen gets healthy, he can slot back in and hopefully find that chemistry again with the lotto line. So what was, I mean, like, yeah, you mentioned that Gaudette hopped up there. You know, it forces Brandon Sutter to play in a different spot in the lineup. Kind of mixes up almost all the other lines, right? And the fact that you bring in Zach McEwen... To you know, do what Zach McEwen did. He ended up dropping the gloves, nut, and I guess he didn't really get the better of that fight, though. He got his ass kicked a little bit. Uh, we'll talk to, with Corey about that later. But um, I mean, like that, what you mentioned there, that Adam Gaudet jumps up to that line, and it just changes every part of the lineup pretty much. Aside from the Bo Horvat line, it changes what every line is used to doing. Do you think mm-hmm. that's the right decision throwing Adam Gaudet up there? Well, who else are you going to put, right? I would think, like, originally I thought maybe Miller would just slide to the center. You know, since he plays center on that line yeah, anyways, basically. Takes every face off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he takes every draw. So I thought maybe Miller would go up. But then again, who do you put on the wing, right? So I, I can understand why they'd want to put Gaudet up there. You know, he'd played with Besser for the last, what, like 20 or so games. He's played with Brock Besser. So you're hoping that, you know, you put a catalyst like JT Miller on that line. They can maybe find a spark in a game where their best player is hurt. You want to see if maybe those guys can step up. Right. And I think that, you know, someone's, you know, a lot of it's been a lot of it's been talked about throughout, you know, media, other podcasts and on Twitter quite a bit as well, that the Canucks might have to go out and get more of these power forward type of players because playoff hockey is a lot different. We're going to see more of these hits that are one, two, three seconds late in the playoffs. Canucks fans know that way too well with Aaron Rome. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Like we're going to see a lot of these hits that are going to injure people and throw the playoffs. It happens. People get injured. There's more hits in the playoffs. We saw mm-hmm. some teams like the San Jose Sharks just wear, or sorry, the, uh, the St. Louis Blues just wear on teams like the San Jose Sharks and just wreck their whole defense course. So when the Canucks going into the playoffs, they, I think they're a slighter team. If you look at other teams yep. in the NHL, do you think they have to go out and get one of these guys? Because there's a lot of power forwards that are available for the trade deadline, but I know you've mentioned a couple as well. Yeah, there is. There's a few, right? Like, there's Wayne Simmons is the big one that's going around. You know, Pierre LeBron drops that big bomb on everybody that the Canucks are interested in Wayne Simmons. And, you know, Jeff Patterson pointed out Wayne Simmons has one goal in his last 33 games. That's tough, man. And, you know, his underlying numbers aren't great, but obviously those could improve if he's on a better line. You know what I mean? Like, better team in general. Like, those could improve. But I am a little concerned about going out and getting Wayne Simmons. You know, he's got a $5 million cap hit, but it it he's, he's a perfect rental, I guess, because his contract actually ends at the end of this season. So the Canucks would get that cap relief. So it depends what goes in and goes out, but I wouldn't mind seeing Wayne Simmons as a Canuck. Like, you know, maybe you dangle Berkshi there. It's... You're going to have to probably add a pick to that, yeah. but uh, Wayne Simmons wouldn't be a bad player to go grab, but I think like some people, I, I think the reaction was very, like it was a little, people were a little too excited at the prospect of mm-hmm. the Canucks getting Wayne Simmons. Like I don't think he's going to come in and be a difference maker. I think he's he'll be a good player to have yeah. for sure, but I wouldn't, I, I really don't think that Wayne Simmons, one goal in his last 33 games, <laughs> is going to be a difference maker for this team. No, I, I think it's it's a situation that we've actually seen, seen something similar to in Vancouver in the past couple of years because I think 
the New York or sorry, New Jersey Devils signed Wayne Simmons to be a guy that could go out there and have a one year prove me deal. Like prove me that you can still play past the age of thirty, right? Because I think he was twenty nine when he signed yeah. it. So he came out and he wanted to do a one year. Yeah, I can still play in the NHL. He hasn't really proved that so far. It's almost like the opposite of what we saw with Thomas Vanek in Vancouver a couple of years ago. Vanek yeah. signed that one year deal at three million, I believe it was, for his cap hit, and he played amazing. Yeah, he Tommy played Gunn. way higher level than we've seen Wayne Simmons do. And what did he end up getting traded for at the deadline? Tyler Mott. Tyler Mott. So did the Canucks have to give up like a player similar to Tyler Mott to get him? And like you mentioned, Sven Berchi, like that's a half decent return, I think, for a team like that. They have another Swiss player there in Nico Heischer. Berchi can get a chance to maybe play with him or something. Like that's an interesting situation. But I think that we can't give up much for Wayne Simmons. Like I've seen a lot of people say, yeah. oh, it's Berchi in a fourth or Berchi in a third. It's like. No, like yeah, that's no not, way, man. Like no. it's nice to get Berchi's money off the books for next year, especially yeah. if the Canucks aren't going to use him. Like I, I'm still in the boat that there's a spot for Sven Berchi in this lineup. I know we're not probably not going to get another chance to mm-hmm. see him mm-hmm. play in this lineup, but there's a lot of spots where we could see him, especially when this team goes on a losing streak where they lose three games in a row. Yeah. But the problem with Sven Berchi is, man, like I don't know. He he doesn't have a lot of points in his last few games in Utica. This is something we'll get into with Corey later. But there's things that I'm seeing from Sven Berchi at the AHL level where I'm saying like he's given up a little bit. Like I don't know. He should be playing for a con. He should be playing for a contract in the other league or to get traded yeah. and be in an yeah. NHL roster. But he's not. Like he keeps doing this thing where he like crosses the blue line. He comes up and he just flicks the puck like oh, trying to go over defenders' sticks and. He's doing these things where he thinks that he's way more skilled than them, but it's like, dude, you're still in the AHL. You're not playing against a bunch of peewee kids, but so like, I don't know. It seems like he's he's not doing the things that he was doing two weeks ago. He's also coming off a high ankle sprain as well, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. But you know, Sven Berchi's a guy that I thought would have an opportunity this year with the Canucks. I know it was a terrible relationship and the way it went, but he might be the guy that gets traded out. So straight across, like we just mentioned it, like Thomas Vanek went for Tyler Mott. Is Sven Berchi like too much to give up for Wayne Simmons, who's in a way different situation? Don't forget UC Okunen. UC Okunen. Oh yeah, well, he was in that right. deal as well. Don't he was, forget like, the best Canuck for the last. Oh little bit yeah, of the year he that played year. on the Sedin line. Dude, remember man. how bad the Canucks used to suck? <laughs> oh yeah, I was at a game during the UC Okunen year, and it was really? against Arizona. UC Okunen era. The UC Okunen era of the Vancouver Canucks. Say that three times. So with the Simmons situation, I mean, it's it's five million dollars. That's yeah. a lot of money for the Canucks to take in. Yeah, it is to their salary cap as it is on this present day, but you know. New Jersey would have to cover some of that, right? Like, they're going to have to keep some of that cap behind. But then that brings up the situation where who are you sending back? You know, do the Canucks send over, like, is a Zach McEwen that kind of guy that would get dangled in that Ooh, spot? Is a Justin Corey Bailey that. kind of guy? Like, Tyler Mott was was playing in the NHL on the fourth yeah. line. Is Tim Schaller the guy that gets swapped for Wayne Simmons? Because let's think about the situation that the Devils are in right now. They're not making the playoffs. They have fallen off yeah. completely this yeah. year. Are they just saying, like, any player that might have a future will take for Wayne Simmons? Do you think that other teams are bidding for Wayne Simmons right now? I don't know if there's going to be a bidding war for Tim. Uh, Tim did we just say Tim Simmons? I was saying Tim Schaller might be the guy who yeah. gets traded. He's a similar Wayne situation. Simmons, sorry. I don't think there's going to be a bidding war for Wayne Simmons. But you know a player that I'm really intrigued about is Marcus Foligno. We saw him last night against, you know, when the Canucks were playing the Wild. And he was awesome in that game and you know like another name that's been thrown around is Kevin Fiala two guys from Minnesota that we saw last night who had great games by the way and you know I really liked Felino and kind of his bite to him you know he was you know it, it sucks because he's playing against the Canucks but he was <laughs> finishing every check he was like right in their faces all game long and it, you know what like the guy's got some skill 
So I really wouldn't mind to see the Canucks kind of pay. Obviously, they'd have to pay more for Marcus Foligno than they would Wayne Sim or yeah Wayne Simmons. But you know, maybe paying a little more of a price is worth it. But again, you got to be getting players that you think are part of your future. And you know, that's what they did with J T. Miller. J T. Miller J T. Miller is a part of this team's future, and that's you know maybe they knew that when they were acquiring him. Believe it or <laughs> not. Um, so I think. When you're acquiring players and you're going to be giving up anything, the things you're getting need to be a part of your future. Like, you have to be, you still have to have your main focus on the future. And, you know, Marcus Lino's at a pretty fair cap hit right now. Yeah, 2.875. He's got one year left next year, so he's going to be kind of making, like, similar money to what Sven Berti would be making. Yeah. And, like, okay, the Canucks have to think about a player that they're going to have to move. Is Sven Berti, like, the only guy? Because that's the only name I keep seeing people throw out there. Well, that's the thing, right, is, you know, any team could have taken him for free if they wanted to. You know, I use that term loosely because it's not free. They still have to add a bad contract to their cap hit, and they still have to use him for, (laughs) like, But it's not as bad as the contract on another team that's going to play him in the NHL. But the thing is, you mentioned, 30 teams said no at the time, right? exactly. And the the NHL's changed. More injuries have happened since that. But, I mean, still, 30 teams passed on, like you mentioned, getting him for free. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure how much interest there is. Like, you know, the Canucks clearly tried to trade, like, Brandon Sutter, Sven Berchi. It's not like they didn't make their calls on these guys. Like they were, they were definitely trying to trade those guys, but there was no market for them. And you know, at the end of the day, there has to be a buyer. And if there's no buyer for the Canucks' crappy players that they don't want anymore, <laughs> they, you know, you can't force the team to make a trade. So that's why I hate seeing on Twitter people like, "Oh, Benning sucks. He couldn't get anything for Brandon Sutter. Brandon <laughs> Sutter should have been traded." It's like, yeah, no kidding, man. Like you don't think he tried? Come on. Yeah, I know Brandon Sutter is one of the guys that's uh, almost in Louis Erickson territory with that contract, but he was foundational at the time, so they had to sign him. Uh, but the other guy that I wanted to talk about a little bit here, because you know maybe they don't really have to go out and try and make a trade, because there's there's a little bit of of you know sunlight right now in the situation with Michael Furlan. People are talking about him going down to Utica. Mm-hmm. I think that was like a week ago today, actually. I think it was last Friday they mentioned he was yeah. going to start that. He hasn't been down in Utica yet, for as far as I know. I he's haven't been, seen anything. I think he's been skating with the team. He's been oh, skating really? hard, apparently. Okay. Like, really hard. That's news to me. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I mean, that's what we want to see. I want to see him get into action. Maybe, you know, Friday. This is actually the first Friday we're going to have Corey on a night off because there's no Comets game yeah. on Friday. So yeah. we'll have to see on Saturday if he gets in. So I'm excited for that, maybe. But is is he the answer? Like, what's what's the situation with Furlan right now? Because we, we just really don't know. And I think with concussions, nobody really knows. I'm so worried about Furlan's, like, long-term health. Like, you know... He's a dad, right? Yeah. And, you know, I was talking about it last week when we were talking about Kobe. I hate seeing dads, like, not being there with their kids. You know what I mean? It's just sad. So, I think, like, you know, Ferlin knows that he needs to have his health at the forefront. Like, he needs to think about himself here. Like, he can't be trying to rush a return because, yeah, I got to help my team get the playoffs. No, man. Like, your health is more important for the rest of your life. Like, there's a life after hockey for these guys, right? And that's what he has to really focus on, I think. So... That's the thing is like I've talked to the concussion specialist when I was writing yeah. that article about his concussion and she's like it's real like she's a doctor with concussions and she even said like it's really hard to predict when the next one's coming and you know if you're getting them reoccurring it it's a sign that maybe the last one or the first one never healed properly um so you know she wasn't dropping pipe bombs saying that the nhl is not uh helping their players recover properly but you know there's definitely a lot more research that needs to be done into concussions and like rehabilitation they still have more to go because you shouldn't be getting a concussion as easily as Furlan did 
Right, it was one fight coming it back. It was game, one right? fight, yeah. One but... bad punch that he got in the head. and Yeah. And yeah, when you have a, a history of it, like we've seen Sven Berchi's kind of in the opposite boat, yeah, right? Like yeah. he's a guy who's had history of it, and a very recent history as well as soon as last season. But he's been he's been fine in a lot of physical spots he's been put into in Utica, but he's mm-hmm. looked great. Like he's, you know, at times, aside from these past two weeks where I just, I don't know what's going on with this game, but it's just something that I haven't liked, uh, which I, I can't wait to get into this with Corey because I think Corey's seen a lot of the same thing. But yeah, I mean, like concussions is it's really like a roll of the dice, right? You like you don't really know what you're getting at all. But uh, I guess like you you mentioned that you talked to the concussion specialist uh, for your article that you wrote a couple months ago now. I guess it's a while. But was there anything that she mentioned about like you know obviously like the more concussions you get, the more you know tough it is to make a recovery from. But was there something that you mentioned like in that article about? Um, the fact that you can still make a full recovery no matter how many you've had, or was it something yeah, like different? Yeah, that's than that? exactly what she yeah. said. Is like if you if you do the proper recovery and you do all the right things and you have a, a full team of specialists looking at you, which is what she said everybody should have, in, especially in the case of which athletes. is what he has to have, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like you have to have way more than one opinion. Like she said, a full full team of specialists looking at you, and you have to get all of their opinions, and they all like she she explained it like a car. Basically, so if one thing's not working, okay, why isn't my car running? The only thing that's not working is this one little thing. But that's what she said is that you have to have a different specialist basically for each part of the brain, which I found really interesting. Um, And she's like, you have to have a different specialist like zeroing in on that part of the brain. And that's how you make sure because every part of the brain needs to be functioning properly. And, you know, it's hard for one specialist to just diagnose an entire brain, right? Like it's a very, like it's a very tough situation for Furlan because he needs the proper care and like I you know I'm sure the Canucks are giving him world-class health care right now like I'm sure he's in he's in good hands just but... became a like he just had a second kid yeah as well, and that's something we talked about but exactly the thing that with Furlan I mean like his game is that he has to play to be you know impactful in a game is that physical game that's that's the thing like he can't really change his game and be effective on his team or do you think he has to do that it's tough to say and that's the thing is, I know he's he, when he comes back, he's not going to shy away from hits because that's what like last time he came back, reporters were asking him, "Are you going to change your game? Do you think you have to play smarter?" No, the only thing he said was maybe not pick a staged fight, which yeah. you know that makes total sense. Why would you do that? Like <laughs> fight when you really need to. Like yeah. he didn't have to in that game. Like that was clear. He talked about it. That was like a staged fight. He shouldn't have. Should probably shouldn't have dropped the gloves there. So he just has to pick his spots a little better. Sure, but. I don't think Michael Furlan's going to change his game, if I'm being honest with you, because I think that's the only way he knows how to play. And I worry about that because when it's playoff time, like he is going to turn it up a notch. You already know he will. You know, we know that better than anybody. History of that so far. (laughs) Yeah, we know that better than anybody. So you, you really hope that his health just, it can, he can keep it up. You know what I mean? Like I really want this guy to stay healthy and it's really just tough to predict whether or not someone will stay healthy, especially when it's something as complex as concussions. Right. If he makes a full recovery, he comes back and gets to play Michael Furlan's game. Like that's going to be a huge impact on this roster. Like where do you see him fitting in? If we get the Michael Furlan that we signed to a four year contract, like what are we getting? If we get the best Michael Furlan back for this Canucks team who, you know, is top of the Pacific been on a pretty good run of games aside from these last three here, like, what does that mean for a team like that to get a guy like Michael Furlan who can be an impactful guy in your middle six? Well, he could potentially play on the first line, but we talked about that a lot, right? And, yeah. you know, it depends how much, if Brock Besser can really turn it around here and reunite that lotto line and get them back together. And again, depends on how long Patterson's out, all this stuff. There's so many working factors. But you know where I'd like to see him as the third line? That's like the second scoring line for the Canucks. I think that's a great place for Furland. 
That's the thing now is you have Antoine Roussel there. You have Jake Vertanen there and you have Adam Gaudet there. I say the guy that goes out if Furlan comes back is likely going to be Roussel. But I don't know if Roussel's really deserving of playing on the fourth line. You know what I mean? I would say the other I would say the opposite. I think he doesn't come out, he goes up. And like why wouldn't he go up to the second line? That's a good point. With yeah. Horvat and oh, yeah, Pearson. Ericsson's up there. What the hell am I saying? Exactly. I and you mentioned it last week. Totally like Ericsson's forgot. game is gonna fall <laughs> off and it has over the past little bit. I mean yeah. they, I don't think they have any points in the last few games aside from an empty netter in their last like five games. Yeah. Or no. something like that. Yeah, the shine on Ericsson has definitely come yeah. off. Just like it has on Shadow. You Schaller. called it. You did call it though a couple I did. weeks ago. I did. So I think Roussel could be a guy who moves up to that spot. And I do like that line of Furlan, Vertanen, and Gaudet because it's like I like that too. Man, you get Jake Vertanen running around skating and you get Adam Gaudet's great skating and quick shot. And Furlan kind of compliments that with being the guy who can he needs to play with skilled players. And I know Jake Vertanen and Adam Gaudet aren't the most skilled players on this team, but we're seeing that Adam Gaudet has the capability to be a skilled player already yeah. in the NHL. And Jake Vertanen's been able to play with skilled players and have success. So if you kind of put that together, I like the look of that line. I, I kind of thought about it the other day, though, as well. Like, man, if you have if you have Antoine Roussel on that fourth line with Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle, the thing I like about Roussel so much is he forces you to, to move the puck through the neutral zone. Like, the way that Antoine Roussel skates and move the puck and makes passes, he kind of like he's going to force Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter to move the puck up with him mm-hmm. and not just get to center and dump it in. And that's something that maybe that line needs to do a little bit more instead of just getting to center and dumping the puck in because they're not getting any shots on that. They're not firing anything in there. And I think Antoine Roussel, who has increased a lot of guys' coursey throughout the couple of years that he's been here, mm-hmm. he might be able to help on that fourth line. And he's, he's the kind of guy that can play in a fourth line spot. Yeah, for sure. And you know, one thing I want I have a tidbit ready to go. And I've been I've been saving this one. This is something that Patrick Johnson put in his post game report after the Bru- uh the Bruins game, I think it was, and it's that the Canucks may have been targeting Patrick Maroon. And the reason for this is cuz I think it was Harmon wrote an article about uh, the Canucks jersey numbers, and apparently Oscar Fantenberg was told he couldn't have number 7, which I believe he wore in Los Angeles. So he couldn't have number 7. So that makes you wonder if maybe there was the prospect of Patrick Maroon coming, who wears number 14 with the Tampa Bay Lightning right now. 14's obviously off limits if you're a Canuck. Uh, Tanner Pearson found that out. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it makes you wonder if maybe the Canucks were targeting a Patrick Maroon. Maybe it was going to be one of Furland or Patrick Maroon. Well, didn't, I think we heard that you know they retired the number 7 because of uh, was it the 7th man, something that the Canucks retired a few, or 7th fan jersey. They retired that with a ceremony a while back. What? Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Like they, it's something that maybe a, a little bit of older Canucks fans might remember. Might remember they did a ceremony and retired. Kind of like the twelfth man. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. I guess they had that for some. I don't think the jerseys actually retired, what? but they definitely no, had a ceremony because Brendan Morrison wore it. But I can't even remember who's worn it since then for number seven. Lyndon Vay. Lyndon Vay. Lyndon Vay has. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, so I guess seven could have been available. So that's an interesting little tidbit. But Maroon ends up signing for nine hundred thousand in Tampa Bay. I've seen him on the power play unit over there in Tampa yes. Bay, and I wonder like. He probably wanted to just go to a contender, right? That's probably why he went to Tampa Bay Fair and enough, not Vancouver yeah. would be an option. But, man, like, where the point where the Vancouver Canucks are at, I wonder if in the future we start to see guys that are similar to Maroon maybe want to sign here for 900000 or a Jason yeah. Spezza's under example with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Exactly. You know, now this team's turning the corner, I wonder if there's some older vets that might want to take that minimum to come play here and maybe yeah. have a chance for a cup. Well, you know, Patrick Maroon's played with Connor McDavid, and he's had success alongside Connor McDavid. You know, he played really well in St. Louis when he was the hometown boy in the cup run and everything. Like, he won a cup, and now he's playing for 900000 Like, it would have been great if the Canucks could have gotten him. You know, he stayed healthy this year, I think. <laughs> and, you know... 
He needs Jay Beagle's agent. That's oh, what he, he needs. He needs <laughs> Jay Beagle's agent. Coming yeah. off of a cup win. Yeah, um, there you go. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up there a little bit. We'll throw to the interview. Um, so as we kind of teased at the start of this interview, or start of the episode, we have uh, Al Murdoch joining us here, who the PA announcer of the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and we just kind of started talking with him about how we got started. And I think you start off the interview, which which was good to have you on the interview for yes, once. It was your yeah, first one in person with one. us. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. So yeah, let's let's throw the interview right now. Here's Al Murdoch. All right, guys, joining us now for this bonus conversation, a little bit of interview in the middle of the episode here. You can find his voice blasting through the speakers at Rogers Arena, the PA announcer for the Vancouver Canucks, Al Murdoch. Al, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm happy you're here, and I think Quads is finally happy that he's here because this is the first interview that this he's is... going to be in on for once. Yeah, this wow. is my first interview with any guest because I'm always working when Chris is able to interview them and when they're able to come onto the show. So this is actually my first one, so I'm very excited. All That's right. Good. Well, I'm glad I'm the first one. Yeah. We're going to test your interview skills here. So, Quads, why don't you get started, man? You got anything to start off with here with Al? Okay, first thing we got to ask you, you know, grad of the Radio Arts and Entertainment Program here at BCIT, where we're recording the podcast, kind of talk about your start in the industry and, like, how you got started. Well, it's it's, it's interesting that we're doing it in this building because it's, it was 33 years ago that uh, that I was here doing exactly the same thing that you guys are doing. And um, obviously the, the times have changed. The, the gear has changed. My goodness, I mean, the mics that we were working on, we didn't have digital recording. We were still splicing tape. Um, but that was, uh, I guess I graduated in 1987. Uh, prior to that, I got a job right out of high school at CKNW. Uh, that's when they had their studios in New Westminster. On 8th and McBride, it was uh, CKNW and CFMI that had their studios there. So I went down... Once I graduated high school, went down there every second day for four weeks until they gave me a job. I'm not quite sure you can do that now. I, I'm sure that most radio stations and TV stations have security that you'll never get back. <laughs> so, right? right? Yeah. But I, oh, yeah. You know, I, I you know, was um, kind of a sweet talker to the receptionist. So eventually, <laughs> uh, she put me on to um, a person uh, who was the music director at the time at CFMI, who was also kind of handled all of the operators and the, the, the guys that uh, that operated the board back then. And uh, he gave me an opportunity and said, uh, you know, what kind of experience do you have? I said, none, but I'm willing to do anything yeah there you go you know and uh that's where i started and uh i started at cknw um, probably about a week later operating for the likes of uh, the great john asbridge who was mm-hmm. you know doing the news back then and all of the talk shows and specifically the hockey games when jim robson was the play-by-play voice so that was pretty exciting for me as a kid coming right out of high school and Chris and I were just looking at it, like, you split duties with John Ashbridge in 2011-12, I want to say it was? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that was the season. Um, so what was that like, like, working with him in that capacity at the arena? Well, uh, as, as most p- people know, John went through some health concerns back mm-hmm. then, um, and uh, he had to miss a few games, so... A lot of the people that I worked with back when I was the PA announcer of the Vancouver Grizzlies were still there. So I I was the kind of the go-to guy, you know, when John, and John never missed a game. So if John ever was to miss a game, I was the guy that was going to fill in. But I didn't think I'd ever fill in because John never missed one. So, but he, unfortunately, he had, uh, he had a heart attack and I had to come in for, you know, two or three games. And then, of course, he was right back into it. And then uh, John and I, like I said, had known each other uh, up until he passed away uh, over 30 years. So we knew each other. We liked each other. He was kind of a mentor to me, not only in the radio side of things, but also the PA announcer kind of thing. So it wasn't like I was coming in and taking over for John. That wasn't the the case at all. I was there just to to fill in when he needed a break. And as the years kind of went on, his, uh, his health started to go down a little bit. Plus, he wanted to spend a little bit more time. He had retired from radio. 
the um, the Canucks job was kind of the only thing that he did in terms of broadcasting, mm-hmm. announcing. And he wanted to spend more time at his place down in Vegas, so he said, you know, are you interested in doing like 20% of the games next season? I said, yeah, whatever you want, John. It's up to you. So as the years went on, I did 30%, 40 50 and then it was about three years ago when he said, "I, you know, I'm done." And and I said, "Well, no. How about you do one more season where you come back and do the do all the original six teams? I think that'd be a great way <laughs> yeah, for cool. for you to go out if 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 that's what you choose to do." And he did so. And then I took over two years ago. And unfortunately, like we all know, he he passed away. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, the great thing about it was there was never any pressure there's never any ego there was never any like this this guy's coming in to take my job kind of thing and and then that certainly wasn't the case it was kind of one of those things where we shared it and then john said hey it's all yours it's in good hands and yeah, have fun with it which i have done so my job basically is to kind of cons- continue the legacy that that john established back in 1987 when he started right and you mentioned that you started with the radio station with john mm-hmm. so i mean like th- there's a lot of time you guys must have spent together like how much do you take away from what you're doing now from being able to kind of learn from that guy right out of high school is what you mentioned. Oh, it was huge. Uh, uh, you know, CKNW, when I was growing up as a kid, my parents listened to it. Uh, back then when we had transistor radios that were still sitting in your kitchen, my parents, it literally the dial was rusted on there. You couldn't move it. <laughs> wow. You know, it had the rotary dial on the side. You couldn't move it off CKNW. So as a kid, you grow up listening to all of these great voices like, you know, John McKittrick, and Warren Barker and John Ashbridge and and then you know the not only that but the they still had quasi disc jockeys like they used to call them back then <laughs> Rick Honey Dave McCormick all of these guys Red Robinson so here's a guy coming right out of high school that gets to sit and chat with these guys and listen to them and learn from them uh, like I always say I learned a lot by osmosis just by being around mm-hmm. them, they didn't necessarily go, well, this is the way that it's got to be done, because that's just not the case. As you guys know, you've you got your own style, you do what you want. But I was very fortunate, really lucky, but I also soaked it in like a sponge. And that helped me in years to come, uh, not only in my broadcasting career, but in my voiceover career and PA announcing and all the other stuff that I've done. Yeah, uh, before we get too much into the Canucks, I, I was looking at... Uh, you know, Brian Weeb, who does the radio program here, told me some stuff that I had to ask you about because uh, this is before Quads was even born, but you were doing some video games at the time. Yes. Uh, the Need for Se- Need for Speed series is one that's oh, no one that I played in. Uh, so before we dive into like too much hockey stuff, I want to ask like how do you get involved with that, and what does Need for Speed ask from Al Murdoch when you come into studio? Well, that that, that was another interesting story. Uh, I was the PA announcer for the Vancouver Grizzlies for the six years that they were here, uh, and because of EA Sports being situated here mm-hmm. in Burnaby, um, they were looking to change the PA voice on NBA Live. Right. So the I came in in 1997. Uh, and then it ended up I was on that game for 13 years. So I had a relationship with them just on that game, uh, and then meeting some of the other producers uh, of all the other games, they said, hey, you know, would you be interested in being on Need for Speed? And I said, uh, yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, so, you know, when you when you hear at the start of the games, three, two, no one, <laughs> go! Or all the track descriptions, that yeah. that's, that's me and all of that oh, stuff. Wow. So. You know, I did uh, three games in that series, uh, and then they brought me back a number of years ago um, to do uh, Fight Night and then right. Fight Night Champion, which was a lot of fun to do to introduce some of the you know the greatest <laughs> boxers of all time. Uh, and then I've done other games for you know for Midway Games. I did NHL Hits back in the day, and then this oh, is that's going, my favorite yeah, game of all time. When you go back to classic games. You know, it, it was a lot of fun because we got to ad lib a lot. 
So even as the PA announcer wasn't like scripted, like you know, You're like you know, three, two, two and a half. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. You got to ad lib, which is the best <laughs> yeah. part about the game because it was serious, but it wasn't serious. Right. So uh, yeah, so I did a lot of games, uh, done games for Xbox, and it continues to be kind of part of my portfolio. Wow. I got to ask you, we're going to jump into hockey now. I think, I think it's safe to jump into hockey. So you were just in St. Louis for the All-Star game. I was. I wanted to ask you one thing about that is because, you know, fans in Rogers Arena all know the big, you're Vancouver Canucks. And you, I thought you really channeled that when you introduced Jordan Bennington for St. Louis in the hometown there. It was uh, it was awesome because, like, I could hear it in your voice. Like, it was the, totally the same as the Vancouver Canucks one. And I saw you you were you were good on the Canucks one, too. Still. Yeah, you know, awesome. I, I, I emphasized them just. <laughs> Just a little more. Yeah. Not so much. I mean, it was funny because I announced, you know, the three players from the Canucks that were there. And then I think Max Pacioretty was the next guy that I was to announce. And so I kept it still up in that yes, vein yeah, and then yeah, kind of, of kind of lowered it down just a little bit. I mean, I had to get my, my homeboys in there, man. I had to get the home team in there a little bit. But that was a really fun experience. They contacted me in, in the summer of last year. And that's when we began, began initial conversations about... Um, you know, being the voice for all of their signature events, whether it be the, you know, the Winter Classic, um, the All-Star Game, and, uh, and just uh, under, well, under a week, I'll be going to uh, Colorado Springs to do the Stadium Series game between oh, Colorado wow. and the Kings. And, and I had been doing some work with them over the years, voiceover work for the NHL Awards, doing all of the vignette videos for all of the nominees and all of that kind of stuff. So we already had a really good relationship, and of course the draft was here, so they, uh, they asked me if I was interested in doing it. And my only reservation and hesitation about doing that job was there's only 31 guys that get to do the job that I get mm-hmm. to do in the league, soon to be 32 with Seattle coming in. So I didn't want to take away an event from... Like Tom Calhoun in, in St. Louis, who's been there since 1987, has never missed a game. He's done 15, over 1,500 games. So I didn't want to go and step on his toes and take away that event from him. So just the same as Jeff Kay in Dallas and soon to be you know in Denver with uh, Alan Roach, who just did the Super Bowl. So that being said, uh, I, I went to the NHL and said, listen, I'm interested in doing it, but is there any way we can incorporate the local voice in it as well so they don't get to miss out on an opportunity? And of course, then there was some, you know, some blowback from the fans in Dallas. Who's this guy from Vancouver coming in to do all of this kind of stuff? So it, that kind of helped my kind of cause. And in, in the end, now we all get to do it together. So, uh, you know, we're a brotherhood. We've got a, a hashtag on Twitter called PA Brotherhood. And we are. We all know each other and we all kind of want everyone to do well unless we're playing the, uh, you know, their team. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but so you uh, guys apparently have the belly tattoos together. From uh, yeah, yeah. Some, friends of, over at TCP show. some of them do. Some of them. <laughs> Do yeah. It, I gotta ask, is it PA or what is it? What is, what's the belly tattoo? Oh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's a right. secret. He's showing us though. It's a secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the thing about this. It's theater of the mind. I could yeah. be showing you. I could not be showing you. Right. Um, so I wanted to continue a little bit with, um, I guess, moving into your spot now at the Vancouver Canucks. You get the chance to you know announce the goals. Is there one that sticks out in your career of doing it that's just been one where like you're a Canucks fan, right? I mean, you, you love the Vancouver Canucks. I think. Am I getting? Oh that? yeah! Are you kidding? <laughs> Come on! So. I, listen, I'm uh, my first game was the Canucks and the California Golden Seals at the mm-hmm. Coliseum that my dad took me to. So, wow. you know, I'm from Winnipeg originally, so I was a Jets fan growing up as a kid. Uh, but w- as soon as we moved to the coast, I mean, my allegiance to Winnipeg was completely gone. Right. So, yeah. So being a fan of the team to to be able to announce, uh, you know, some of the. Uh, uh, the the vintage and classic and legendary players uh, at least since 2011 has been been great. But if you know, everyone asks me like, what's the highlight goal? What I mean, what to announce when you know when both Sedins get their 
their their one thousandth point. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty exciting. On their last game Holy playing at Rogers Arena, yeah. when you know you know how it ended, and then to announce them as like co number one stars in the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. those types of things. Those are the things that give you really big chills down your spine. So that if you were going to highlight one, I think that would probably be it. Right. I mean, like you as a fan, like if I was put in that position. I feel like the bigger the bigger the moment, like the more nervous I would get. Like, do you ever get nervous for these huge moments? I get nervous before every game. Yeah. I mean, if I don't feel a little bit of kind of, you know, that feeling that it's not necessarily butterflies, but you know that kind of feeling you get, you know, before you're, you know, going to yeah. make an important call or you're going to, you know, you know, meet somebody for the first time. It's that kind of feeling, and if I don't get that feeling. Then I'm almost thinking, oh, oh, Uh-oh. you know, it's it, you, you might be going in a little bit overconfident. Mm-hmm. So if I don't feel that, especially when I was doing the NHL games, like when I did the Winter Classic, it's in front of eighty-five thousand people at the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> you want to make sure that you get it right. So uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely get nervous, and I think that's that's a, a good thing for me anyway. When you started, the team was kind of in a transition. They were entering a transition, kind of like they were coming off the tail end, sort of the West Coast Express era, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And did you find it harder to kind of go to work and like call the games with like when they were bad? No, you know what? I I approach it the same way every game. Uh, You know, when we, when we make the Stanley Cup final, which we will eventually, I know we will. (laughs) I've got a lot of faith in the team. Um, You know, there'll be, there'll be a little bit of a different feeling going into that sort of situation because I've really only done one playoff game. That's yeah. it. Wow. I've only done one playoff game, and that was, you know, kind of in, in the 2011 series because then John came back. So I've never, you know, I've never done a playoff game for the for the Canucks yet. Wow. So, you know, this year will be the year where, you know, I get to dive right into that. So I don't approach it, it whether the team was rebuilding, if you believe in that whole thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, whether they were rebuilding or, you know, going through slumps or whether they were, you know, uh, at the top of the league or top of the Pacific Division where they're at right now, I approach it exactly the same way. I mean, it's my job, as John Ashbridge would always tell me, it's not about you. You're there to inform first and then entertain mm. second. So you're there to inform people about what's going on. And once you get that out of the way, then all of the other stuff. And, and of course, it's turned into more of game presentation right. now, which is I love. I mean, it's about putting on a show, and I love that part of it. Mm-hmm. Years, years ago, it used to be just traditional kind of stuff. Here's what's going on. So I like that part of it. But, again, at, at the end of the day, you're there to inform first and then entertain second. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I've heard you on TTP show a bunch of times with yeah. our buddies over there. And, and yeah. just, you know, hearing you talk about the Canucks is kind of interesting, too, because we hear your voice so much in the arena, but it's not like you're ever on the panel of the Sports Hit panel. So we got to get into the Canucks here a little bit while okay. you're here with us. Um, I, I just I want to ask, I mean, you talked about this young core being so amazing that they have with guys like Pedersen, Quinn Hughes coming in this year, and, you know, even surrounded by Brock Besser and bringing in JT Miller. Like, does this core have the feeling for you of that team that is going to get us to a Stanley Cup? Um, yeah, I mean, whether or not it's this year, I'm, I'm not quite certain yet. I mean, you got to remember, it's like Jim Benning has put together this team, uh, and he gets criticized a lot about, you know, remember when that, when that, that whole thing went down at the draft, because I was there announcing at the yeah. draft, uh, when the JT Miller trade went down, everyone was, oh, well, and you know how Twitter goes yes, and everybody else, yeah. and they just went nuts. What are you doing, you know, trading away a first round pick for this guy? I mean, so on and so And well, has it blossomed into something (laughs) that is good you have to give it time so if we don't make the stanley cup final this year listen next year it'll be another building block and another building block and then of course then the cap issues we have to to deal with and i'm glad that i'm not that because (laughs) my math skills are are, are not up to it put it this way but the core is great 
in the next couple of years when guys start, you know, uh, either, you know, leaving town or the Canucks decide not to resign them uh, or they decide to retire or whatever, you know, they're going to have to bring in some other people to, you know, accentuate all of this young talent. But well, listen, you watch the games like I do. You get excited as soon as Pedersen touches the puck or if Brock touches the puck or they just get going. If they can get that power play back going again. Listen, they lost against Boston and it was a tough game, but they could challenge those guys. I didn't really see them really just get, you know, thrown right out of the ring. Right. They have got something right now that I think once they build on it, the uh, long term, I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. I, so in the media, in the media box, you're not allowed to really show emotion. You're in a separate box, aren't you? So I'm like, I'm wondering what that box is like. Like, do you get to celebrate goals a little bit? Absolutely, sure. I mean, it, it, you know, if they ever had a camera on me, yeah. I mean, my arms are, you know, I'm pointing and I'm, you know, I'm waving my arms and I'm doing, you know, as much as every other fan can do, uh, uh, at least on Canuck goals. And then, yeah. you know, when the opposition, when I announce their goals, you'll know it's, it's as disinterested as I possibly can be without, you know, showing lack of respect because that's kind of part of the... The NHL mandate is, you know, you have to show respect in which way. Fair enough, yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's all, it's well, all part of the game. Well, tell that to the Boston guys. But well, <laughs> listen, yeah, but that's play-by-play. Play. That's a completely different play, thing, yeah. right? But you, brotherhood. But you notice, you guys listen to games around the league. You you understand how there uh, some PA announcers are way over the top. Some PA announcers are very traditional. And then there's, I kind of try to keep it somewhere in the middle. Um, but it's really what ownership wants. You know, if they say, hey, we want you to kick it up 10% this, sh- this season, then you kick it up 10%, right. whatever that means. <laughs> but you know what? You, you do what you're told. I mean, you take direction from, you know, whoever's paying your salary. Right. How'd you come up with the bow and you hold the O <laughs> for like 10 seconds and then you yell Horvat? Well, I love was, that. It was really funny. Uh, uh, there's a, uh, a, a great guy that I work with. Um, uh, his name is Mike Hall. And Mike Hall used to um, be uh, the producer and, and director of uh, Sports Page. For many, many years, and has done a ton of stuff in television, and he has worked with the Canucks for many, many years. And then uh, one night um, when uh, I can't remember, we were doing a specific night. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't the boat captaincy because I'd been doing it prior to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was you know we were chatting and, and we were talking about signature calls for for players and so on and so forth. And and I just kind of in passing over dinner, I just went, well, how about bow? <laughs> Horvat. Halsey went, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Let's do that. So I've been trying to kind of incorporate kind of different kind of things for each player. I mean, it's tough. It depends on the name. depends how it's pronounced. You know, like I, I pronounce it Elias Pettersson. Like I don't say Pettersson. Like on the first one, I'll say Elias Pettersson. Kind of like it's he's back in his, in his home right. country. J.T. Miller. It's J.T. Miller. <laughs> You know, yeah. but and, and other ones I'm trying to come up with, but again, it's the same sort of thing with the team. It's it's building. You build it over the course of, of of the years, and hopefully, then the crowd will get into it and kind of repeat after me, kind of thing. I'm yeah. hoping down yeah. the road that uh, that some of that stuff will catch on. Yeah, I think it, it's fun. I mean, when you get to incorporate something like the Bo Horvat kind of thing, it's it's fun to get the crowd involved. Is there like any other one that you've really had a lot of fun with with the pronunciation of a goal? Because I remember goals from you know like Jeff Cowan had a big big <laughs> every time he scored a goal. It People were throwing bras. Yeah, on. there was something that you know fans got involved with. Has there been one throughout your career that you remember just being a lot more fun to say? Well, I mean, scored? like I said, announcing any goal by the Sedins was yeah. was pretty special. Um, and again. 
I didn't do a lot of games, you know, when I first started sharing the role with John. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. And when I when we were sharing the role together, I didn't want to come in as a completely different announcer than Ash was. Mm-hmm. Because it wouldn't make sense if John was this guy and then I came in the next game and then I was this completely different guy. So what we actually chatted about it over beers because we would get together and, and chat about stuff. And, and we both agreed, hey, let's just, just try to keep it. Uh, you know the same and then as the years went on and I started taking over more responsibilities then I started kind of changing it but it wasn't going to be the same thing that I did when I was doing the Vancouver Grizzlies because it was it was so over the top and I, some rinks might might like that and and again if if our owner said you know this is what we want I mean I can give that for sure mm-hmm. but I kind of like that happy medium right in the middle you know where you if you want to get this over the top you can but then you can bring it down to where you're kind of supposed to be yeah you're not going to be announcing you know like jimothy timothy miller like we see all the time no, on Twitter and stuff like no that. absolutely not well but i've been thinking about maybe even incorporating nicknames yeah in, into things but again that's that's got a long process right yeah, it's yeah. about a brand right and it's a very important brand and it's whether or not i'm, I'm sure that there's people out there that don't like the bohor that read an announcement there might be because it's very subjective. They either like it or they don't. So, and I don't never take it to any offense if people are saying that they don't like it. I mean, it's just it's what I do, and you know, and until I'm told otherwise, that's that's the way it's going to be. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50 before taxes. And Canucks Conversation podcast listeners can save $5 off their order with promo code CanucksConvo. That's all one word, promo code CanucksConvo. You can shop online or at their retail store located in Surrey. Once again, that was Zephyr Epic. You can follow them on social media to be part of monthly contests and ticket giveaways. Search Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. And a huge thank you again to our friends at Zephyr Epic. Chris and I were opening some cards right before recording this. It got us very hyped. We opened a hobby box, and then we had a big booster box as well. And Bro. that was crazy. We were going Hughes hunting. Hashtag Hughes hunting. Dude, Hughes hunting was on tonight. We pulled three different Hughes cards. Uh, I pulled the Young Guns Quinn Hughes. I pulled the UD Portraits Quinn Hughes, and you pulled the Young Guns Jack Hughes. So Hughes hunting was a success. Finally, I've been, and I think we got a message on the Instagram when we were doing it on Instagram Instagram Live, which you guys should uh, check out on the Instagram. That's where I guess we can like read your comments because we can't do it on Twitter Live for some reason, which is really yeah, dumb. it is kind of weird uh, so, on Twitter. So yeah, check it out on Instagram at Canucks Convo is where you can find us. But yeah. We were Hughes hunting. This was like our best week of doing it. We opened 48 packs each. 48 packs each? No, 48 packs 48 total. packs total. Yeah. yeah. So thanks to our friends at Zephyr Epic. They sent us like so many cards. <laughs> we were surprised. Like I opened them up at my house, at, got them at the Purolator, whatever, and I felt like a kid in a Disney movie that like gets some big like <laughs> contract deal or whatever, and it's like, yeah, we'll send you all the candy in the world, and it's like... <laughs> I got all the hockey cards in the world. It felt like it was awesome. But yeah, I think that's a perfect segue into our first time doing this new segment brought to you by Zephyr Epic. It is the Zephyr Epic Canuck of the Week. And we put out a poll on Twitter. Uh, We'll be putting out the next poll as well on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We only did Twitter this week. Um, But it is the Zephyr Epic Canuck of the Week. And we basically put out four Canucks that had good weeks. And we asked people to vote. 
on who had the best week, who was the most epic Canuck of the week. Our options were JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Travis Green. 204 total votes on this one. 39.7% of the vote going to JT Miller. And then straight across the board, 20.1% to Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and Travis Green. There's two hours left on this poll, but I think it's pretty safe to say that JT Miller wins the popular vote on this one. Yeah, also Twitter was like busted this week and like you couldn't vote on a bunch of polls. You had that? Did you have that? Yeah, too? I had that when I was trying to message somebody too. It's like, oh, really? yeah, it was like, uh, there's a problem, but don't worry, it's not your fault. And everybody was getting that message. It was so you weird. Know, Twitter was a mess. Anyways, yeah, so JT Miller won. He was actually my pick as well. Uh, he had the one goal. He had an assist. I know that he scored the first goal of the game because I did Canucks first and JT Miller happened to get it. I swear, I think JT Miller has the most Canucks first this year. Like, he has to. Um, but yeah, I thought JT Miller was really impactful. He played a lot of minutes and, you know, he had to play without Elias Patterson in that last game. He, he was impactful. He had two points. Uh, one of them was the first assist. The other was a goal. And I, I just think that JT Miller brings so much to this team, man. Like, I know Quinn Hughes was another option. Like, honestly, I could have picked any of these players. Uh, Elias Pettersson had the two goals. But Quinn Hughes had that overtime goal last Saturday, which was unreal. Yeah, that was Saturday. And uh, that was just an unreal goal. And the fact that he scored that was just beautiful. But I know that, you know, a lot's been talked about about Travis Green this week, about him dodging the bullet. Like, we didn't really talk much about the Canucks losing 4 nothing to Boston because I think Travis Green was kind of, like you mentioned, the Canuck of the week, and I think he's your pick, right? He is my pick, and no negativity on this podcast, so we don't talk about losses. <laughs> Everything's fine. Anyways, Travis Green is my Canuck of the week, and you know what? Maybe that's a hot take, but Travis Green really picked his spot well. He did it at TD Garden. There's no better arena in the league for Travis Green to drop a bomb on the league and complain about officiating than against the Boston Bruins, who Canucks fans are so familiar with getting all the great calls in their favor, and I think Travis Green really was... That was an epic moment right there, for sure. Travis Green really picked his spot there, and I really like to see that. He stood up for Pedersen. He took some heat off his team, who put in a stinker performance, right? He was, he really, like, that was Travis Green's Mona Lisa when it comes to his post-game press conferences and, you know, speaking to the media, for sure. That was, like, his greatest moment, and Twitter was blowing up. When that dropped and that quote dropped about him complaining, not, not, I don't even want to use the word complaining, be, spitting facts yeah, about the Pedersen. Exactly. Yeah. I just, yeah, I think, I don't know, because Travis Green coming in this year, and I think I, I even wrote about it at one point that, you know, I, I don't know if Travis Green was the right coach for this team, but when he goes out and does something like that, like, that's where my opinion starts to change. Like, yep. uh, like what was your opinion on Travis Green going into this season? I, I don't a- want to say that, sorry, I just don't want to say that, like, one thing has changed the opinion, but I think a lot yeah. of things this season. I've changed the opinion, and I wasn't the biggest Travis Green fan coming into the year. Well, I think Travis Green kind of ditched the line juggling, which was something I really hated to see from him was, you know, uh uh-oh, we're we're losing and it's the first period time to juggle everything like yeah. no stick to your game plan and i think he's done a very good job of that this year and i think he's found a game plan that works a little better he isn't really doing as much line juggling which in my opinion does throw off players if you do it too much which i think he was doing it too much before but now i think he's really toned that down and he's found the line combinations that really work for his team and he's still playing around with it he's not you know, he's not dead set on not changing a lineup. And, you know, they say you never change a winning lineup, but he has. And he doesn't like to, but he has sometimes. And, you know, he can recognize when a Louis Erickson is once again playing like a Louis Erickson. And he can put a Zach McEwen in that spot. Like, he can recognize that. And I think that's something that I, I've really liked to see from Green for sure this year. But, yeah, that 
Boston quote. Ooh, that was the so respect how much, levels. You know, to to expand on what you just said there, they just lost three games in a row. Uh, Justin Bailey's up here. He hasn't played a game yet. Guillaume Brisebois just got called up. Uh, we might see him hop into the lineup Saturday night. It's a big game. I mean, Calgary's been you know playing good hockey, especially since the Battle of Alberta kind of fired them up. You know they've they've been playing hot like they've been playing very spirited hockey. I guess is what I'm saying, and I don't know. Maybe J- Jacob Marshall might be the guy to fight next as a goalie. I'm excited to see Jacob Marshall oh, through. Yes. If anybody's gonna throw against Jacob Marshall, I'm damn surprised. But um, before we get out of the player of the week, I just want to give a shout out because I was just kind of looking at some of the analytics behind um, you know shot share and goal share. And Antoine Roussel, Jake Vertan, and, and Adam Gaudet actually led the team in Corsi percentage this week. I mean, they controlled, you know, better than the Lotto line, better than Elias Patterson, better than Quinn Hughes, actually. So a really good week for Antoine Roussel, Jake Vertan, and Adam Gaudet. And I think that line has just started to gel together lately. I mean, when, when Vertanen isn't taken away from that group, I, I, I just, I don't, I like Jake Vertanen. I seem like he's bringing a lot of energy to every line that he's playing on, yep. whether it be the top line or this line here. And, you know, that it's, it's weird because like the power play hasn't been clicking great. But I wonder if they're going to start moving around a Godet and a Vertan and, and start working with them on a first power play unit. Because, man, seeing that stat the other day that IMAC brought up about Brock Besser, no power play goals in, what, 33 games now? Something like that. The Wayne Simmons stat. Yeah, the Wayne <laughs> Simmons stat. That, I, yeah, I think it's 32 after a couple of games because, yeah, that Wayne Simmons messed me up. But, yeah, I mean, like, what do you think about that power play? Like, we've seen a lot of success from Godet and Vertan on the power play at times this year. But it seems like neither power play is really having a lot of success lately. Does does a shakeup need to happen, or do you want to just keep Brock Besser on that line? You know who they should put on the power play? Elias Pettersson. Yeah, <laughs> I don't true. like Instead seeing Brandon, Brandon Sutter. Sutter on there. I gotta say, that's something I don't like. And you know, <laughs> like obviously when Pettersson comes back, we've only seen one game without him. It wasn't a great game. You could tell that the Canucks were missing their best player. It was very evident. Um, yeah. So I guess on the power play, yeah, I would like to see Elias Pettersson. And, you know, maybe Besser on the second unit and Jake Vertanen on the first unit. You know, Horvat on the second unit in favor of Jake Vertanen. I'd like to see Jake Vertanen on the first unit in some capacity, whether that be as a net front presence, um, you know, playing in the corner, whatever whatever they need him to do. I'd like to see Vertanen given a shot on that line because, like you said, he adds energy to any line he's been on. That's the biggest thing he brings is energy. Yeah. And I, I I heard the other day I was listening to the Ray and Dregs podcast, and Ray Ferraro, who, I mean, like if you're, if you're going to want to listen to somebody talk about hockey and you're going to want to be like, oh, do they know what they're talking about? Like Ray Ferraro is the guy to listen to, right? And yeah. The thing that Ray was talking about about the Canucks power play because he obviously watches a lot of games is, like Brock Besser should be using that bumper spot more because that's this is what I see as well with this team. I mean, like the power play is like eighty percent run through Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser. And Brock Besser is only really there to set up Quinn Hughes's one timers. Quinn Hughes is basically what the power play is running through, right? Like yeah. he can either take a shot, walk the line, or set up Elias Pettersson for a one timer. Quinn Hughes isn't setting up Brock Besser for any one timers. Brock Besser is just not that kind of guy. But man, when you see the puck go to Pettersson. Pedersen's only looking back to Hughes. Like he's not dropping it down to JT Miller, who's a very effective player. And I think that JT Miller's shot, it, it might be underrated. And I think that when you see him in that bumper spot, he can't get a quick shot off from Elias Pedersen. And Brock Besser's not passing it to him ever to get a quick shot yeah. off. So the thing that makes sense for me is to say, okay, let's maybe use JT Miller on the left side. He's got a great shot. See, the goalie scored the other day when walking in on the left side oh, it was yeah. beautiful. If he can go on the left side, he can use his wrist shot, he can use his clapper. And then also we can use Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes into certain situations where, you know, they, they can set each other up still because I think that's where a lot of the power play is going to run through. But then it's like, man, could Bo Horvat be more useful on the second unit? Like, if he was one of the guys on either yeah. side of the wall, could he be more effective there? That's what, that's what I'm saying is I'd like to see Horvat 
on that second unit. It's not about like, breaking up the first exactly. unit, right? It's That's what a lot of people two, say. It's about having two effective units. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Canucks have had that this year. Like, the second unit has pulled their weight. They've yeah. been much better than last year's second unit, let yeah. me tell you. The well, if you look at Tampa Bay, like, Pat Maroon is on that first unit in front yeah, of the net. Yeah, Just because exactly. the, the guy in front of the net doesn't matter as much when you're moving the puck around, right? He's there to be quick and handle pucks and... You know, like if, if, like I don't like he. I'm not going to use him as an example. Well, maybe like Justin Bailey is the guy who does it for the comments. He's great in front of that because he has a quick stick and he gets to rebounds really fast. And I don't think the Canucks need to put Justin Bailey on the first power play. Whoa, but like <laughs> a player like that can play in that role because he's not really moving so much in the cycle. Like yeah, he's chasing pucks and you know he needs to get behind to help support Patterson if there's a lot of pressure on him. But that's not when the power play set up. You're running with good passing between that group. Like, man, it would be nice to have that second unit have maybe a Brock Besser or maybe a Bo Horvat. Or, you know, maybe, like, I wouldn't take JT Miller up, but I think I think it's between Brock Besser and Bo Horvat on, like, how could we use them on a second unit where they're, yeah. u- where they're having the puck more? And that's, like, I put it out on Twitter the other day. Like, maybe they should do a switch up. And people started just giving me crap. It's like, oh, they've scored the most power play goals. It's like, listen, I'm not saying that <laughs> the power play is bad and needs to be shaken up. I just think that you could have more use for a Bo Horvat or a Brock Besser, maybe on that second unit. No, I totally agree with you. Like, I think giving it a shakeup wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like, Especially right now. <laughs> exactly. The power play hasn't produced much as of late. So, you know, it's great that they're that stat that you just spit out about the uh, top most goals or whatever, most power play goals. Like, yeah, but how many of those were three weeks ago? <laughs> like, something's got to change on that power play for sure. Like, right. either you bring Pedersen back and hopefully he can just Get let's everything let's both pick something to happen. Like, what would be your thing? Bo Horvat on the second unit for and, me. And who would come up to one? Who Jake Vertanen. And he'd just be a net front guy. Yep, I want Jake Vertanen for so the where net. would you play? Where would you play Horvat on PP two? Bumper or net front for sure. Bumper or net front. I would, man. I would probably. I honestly think that I would. I would move Horvat down as well, but to bring a guy in for a net front presence, like. It's really tough to pick, and you need a guy who has like a quick stick in front. I think Antoine Roussel would be an option. I don't know if he's Ooh, the okay, most skilled okay. guy to put in there. Um, I like Jake Vertanen on the second unit, and also if you put you put Jake Vertanen or Adam Gaudet in the bumper position, I would put Gaudet in the bumper position. I would yeah, put Gaudet on yeah. the left side and maybe Horvat on the right or whatever way they kind of are more comfortable with. Maybe Horvat's more comfortable on the left, but I would get Horvat away from the bumper and in net front presence. Like I would let him see what he can do on the boards because – you know, Horvat's a good passer. He's a guy that can yeah. make a move and beat a player. We see him do that a lot this year. Maybe he just needs to be utilized in that sort of position on a power play. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. And yeah. that's the thing. Like, But then, like I said there, like, like Horvat's pretty good in front of the net. He scores a lot of goals. on. I think he has like seven power play goals or something this year. A lot of them are in tight. And, I mean, if you take him off and put someone else on there, they're not going to be as skilled or quick with the stick. And both strong, too. And that's like, what it comes yeah, down and to. I wouldn't, like, I know I said I was joking about it at first, but, man, Justin Bailey is leading the Utica Comets in power whoa, play goals, whoa, whoa. and he's standing right in front of the net getting all these goals. Like, you have him up here right now. I'm not, like, we saw Tyler Gravac yeah, have two power say, play goals. Stranger things have happened. We've seen <laughs> Tyler Gravac there, so maybe Justin Bailey gets a look. I don't know. We'll have that's to see. But I, I think the power play, you know, it might just need, like, it's not a shakeup. And I think that's what a lot of people are saying. It just might need one little... Twist because I've seen a lot of people trash Newell, Newell Brown out there right now, um, but yeah, let's. Uh, we just mentioned a couple of comments, guys. Why don't we get to our uh, comments segment here? It's time to bring him in. Let's bring in the man himself. Even on a night off, he's ready to ride the bus, folks. It's time for riding the bus with Corey Herga.
McEwen into the goal and he scores! What a play by Zach McEwen who draws the Comets to within one. A little shimmy shake. Right, guys, joining us now for the best Utica Comets insider in the world, our friend from Canucks Army, Corey Hergott. Corey, how are you doing tonight on a Friday night where you have nothing to do, no Comets game? Yeah, I'm doing well, Chris. And uh, it's uh, as, I, as I told you off the air there, it's a little bit odd, uh, you know, a Friday night with no Comets game. It's uh, for the last couple of years, it's been been my jam all the way through the season every wednesday friday and saturday more or less so whenever there's a game not on a wednesday a friday or a saturday it, it definitely is a little foreign for me yeah that's right i guess the neighbors must be thinking like what's wrong with the comets cave tonight there's no you know loud flashes <laughs> or any cheers coming out of there yeah that's one thing that i do uh, really enjoy about the fact that uh, i uh, you know i cover the the team from my own little space here in the world in my shed uh, if i'm sitting in a press box i can't cheer when uh, when the comets do something good i can scream and yell all i want in my shed and uh, my neighbors have definitely heard uh, heard a few uh, pretty good uh, uh, shouts of excitement in the last couple of seasons yeah, so we wanted to ask you about Michael DiPietro. He had a pretty rough start the other day, and I was wondering what you think about just his progression as a goaltender because there's a lot of people with the Canucks goaltending situation here that are talking about, oh, yeah, it's simple. Get rid of one goaltender, bring DiPietro up as a backup. And I know I've asked you this before, and you said you don't think DiPietro is quite ready to be a backup, which is totally fair. But how important do you think it is for him to have starts like the one he had on Wednesday night where he wasn't quite as good as he usually is? I think it's uh, it'll help him grow his game, and and uh, and I st- I still do stick with that. I don't I don't think it's a good idea to uh, you know kind of hang their hat uh, for the Canucks to kind of hang their hat on Di Pietro as a backup next year in Vancouver. I, I just think that's uh, asking too much of him a little bit too early. They were patient with Thatcher Demko, and uh, and uh, that seems to be working out fairly well for them. And I think it makes sense to take a similar approach with with Mikey Di Pietro. The thing about him right now that we have to remember is he's really um he's not just trying to refine his game but in the last uh season and a bit he's like he's changed the way he plays i've spoken about it before he's a lot more uh, uh settled and calm in his net he's not uh, quite as active and athletic and uh you know, when you're as somebody who used to play a goal and who played that athletic kind of a, you know, throw your body around style, it can be really hard to, uh, you know, to to dial that out of your game and uh, not lean on that as a crutch. When you've got uh, reflexes like the Pietro has, uh, you know, it can be pretty, uh, pretty easy to kind of sit on those laurels and, uh, you know, maybe hang back a little further in your net because you know you can uh, you can reach out and make that glove save or, or make that sprawling save that a lot of other guys can't and uh, 
you know, kudos to him that, uh, you know, we still see him making those sprawling saves, but uh, it's only kind of as a last-ditch effort for him these days. It's not something that uh, that he's kind of just throwing out there as part of his repertoire. He's really tried to uh, clean things up, and, and I think that's it's gone a long way into him having a successful season this year. He's got a nice record. Uh, I think he's 14-8 and eight now or 14-7. and seven. So, uh, he, you know, he's doing pretty well in his first season. So early on in his pro career, how many starts like that did you see from Thatcher Demko? Was that a semi-regular occurrence when his career was just starting out? Yeah, I mean, I didn't uh, catch all of uh, Thatcher's first season with the team. I wasn't uh, covering the team in his rookie year, but uh, you know, I it, it 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 is something that you see at that position. It's uh, you know, goal goaltending as we can see with Jacob Markstrom. He, I mean, he's really coming into his own kind of this season, and uh, you know, he's been at this for a while, so. Uh, I think goalies like defensemen, you can kind of let them marinate and, uh, you know, overcook them a little bit if you have to, and it's not going to hurt their game. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see the odd clunker goal go in on, on Mikey DiPietro. And the, the big thing with him, um, and it's very, very evident in his game. And when you, when you hear him speak after the game, uh, a goal goes, goes in and that's it it's over for him it's it's behind him and he's on to the next one he's not he doesn't dwell on uh on a bad goal he doesn't dwell on a bad play uh he's got a really really good uh ability to just park that kind of stuff and move on to make the next save and, and i think that's really gonna bode well for his career going forward yeah and Corey, i think a lot of people get to see the fun stuff besides like the, the stuff that the way that mikey dipietro plays is a lot of fun but i think a lot of people see the videos of him messing around when they're at prospects camp and cooking but you know, he was on this past week when you and me were both on in Utica, and I think that a lot of people don't really get to see that side of him. Like, the Utica K-Rock guys do a great job of kind of opening up Mikey DiPietro a little bit, so what are some of the things that you've learned from hearing them have a conversation with him that, you know, maybe we don't really see from a guy from TSN or a guy at Prospects Camp? Well, part of it uh, was that me just talking about how he's able to uh, to park stuff the way he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they spoke with him um, about that. Uh, on Monday when uh, yeah it was on Monday when we when we did that uh, Comets Insider on K Rock and uh, that was something that uh, you know they brought up with him and then he kind of went into detail with it and just said you know that's it's something that he's had to kind of uh, to learn and and to implement into his game it's uh, and he's really got the kind of the right attitude to do that kind of stuff I mean he's so laid back uh, he's a guy that really really enjoys the fact that he's a professional hockey player he's not uh, he doesn't take any of this kind of stuff for granted uh, he's a guy that uh, puts a lot of work into his game uh, they recently had um, Curtis Sanford in there working with him uh, for a couple of uh, practices specifically working on uh, skills with him and uh, that's a big part of uh, him you know growing his game going forward when he can uh, take the things and that coaching that that he gets between Ian Clark and and Curtis Sanford and and you know really dial his game in I, I really like a lot of what I see from the guy and and uh, like I said it's it's that uh, he's got the right demeanor uh, to have a successful career as a goaltender in my opinion and he's got the skills for it as well yeah most definitely I love him on the ice love him off the ice and I love his pizza takes as well uh, shitting on Domino's a little bit, which was nice to hear because uh, I don't hear a lot of that around here. But um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask a little bit because there's a guy that I really want to talk about, and I think he's being talked about a lot. You know, we were just talking about the Wayne Simmons like uh, rumors about them possibly going to Vancouver, and everybody seems to throw Sven Berchi's name into that trade. 
I just okay. I'm gonna say my case about Sven Berici, and I want to hear what you have to say after this. Just watching him over the past week, I know he's coming off of an injury, but I feel like he's he's playing like he's better than everyone out there over the past little bit. Like I've seen him a couple times come into the blue line. He almost like chips a puck up in the air to try and like go over a defenseman's stick, and it's like I I kind of said it before we started. Like he, he's trying to do too much, but he's not trying hard enough. Like he's not trying to be what we wanted to see and what we saw from him for a lot of the year. I think he's trying to do, he's trying to get too fancy almost a little bit when we were starting to see him play a pretty rough game. So I'm wondering, do you think that's something to do with just him coming off the injury? Or do you think that, you know, he's, he's kind of packed it in a little bit at this point in the season? Well, I think he missed uh, somewhere between four and six games with a high ankle sprain. And uh, my, just my opinion, it kind of feels like that's maybe, not as long as you should be sitting out for a high ankle sprain that those generally keep people out a little bit longer than that uh from you know from my recollection anyway so i kind of wonder if there's uh, a little bit something there that's uh kind of hampering him from being able to uh, complete those skilled plays that you're talking about i think maybe part of it chris might be that we as you said we've seen him this season uh kind of seeking out the physical areas of the game uh and seeking out uh, contact and uh showing that he's uh he's able to uh you know to hang in there and play like we haven't seen him get injured because uh you know he took a hard hit or something like that he's taken a couple of pretty big hits this year and been able to bounce back up so i think that side i think he feels maybe like he's got that side of his game where he's got some confidence again Mm -hmm. and it could be that maybe now he's looking at trying to you know bring a little bit of confidence to the uh you know the offensive side of the game now to kind of get back into the swing of things there because uh you know he came back from that uh injury but he was held pointless in i think five or six games something like that or four games and uh finally picked up a game uh point here uh recently so maybe he's kind of getting back uh you know to the way that he needs to be playing but i i do agree he does look like he's uh maybe squeezing the stick a little bit too hard trying to make the plays that uh that i think he like you said it he he looks like he's uh you know trying to be better than everybody out there but uh i mean he is better than everybody out there or at least he should or at least he should be i mean he's uh in my opinion still an nhl player so uh maybe in my opinion i mean that's just where i'm at with him but uh you know it it could be that he's just kind of uh, trying to get the confidence back on the uh, on the skill side of the game now that he's you know more comfortable with the physical side. Right, and only two points in his last nine games, and that's that's the kind of thing that sticks out after what you saw he did earlier in the year. I mean, I'm, I got this, I got the stats like the game log in front of me here, and it's every single game he had a point. You know, certain games he's putting up three points, and I guess I don't know. Like, the, the, obviously, the comments were, uh, I mean, the cupboards were a lot more stocked earlier on in this year and they've kind of dropped down a little bit with guys like McEwen and Bailey and now Breezewa going up but I mean there's there's still a lot of skill down there I mean there's a lot of points to be had for these forwards and that's the only thing that you know Sven Berchi has to keep performing at the AHL to get back into the NHL so I I wonder like you know obviously the injury we talked about that was I think that was early January right when he got hurt yeah yeah, yeah. and then he, was, he came yeah. back late January so I mean like you know, he's almost a month off of that injury, or at least three weeks for sure. And I think that, you know, like that's when we need to start seeing something out of him. And if you talk about him coming back from the injury, it's one point in six or seven games or something like that. So I don't know. I think he's still playing with guys who can help him put up points. So maybe that line's just not having it. Maybe they need a little bit of a shakeup there. But um, with Sven Berchi, like, I don't know. Like, do you expect to see him bounce right back? Because you mentioned he, he seems like an NHL player. I agree with you. I think... 
there's still a time for him to be an NHL player, but he needs to do it quick with the trade deadline coming up. Well, that's just it. He's about three, we're what, three weeks away or so from the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that I, I think it's pretty clear that he's probably not getting back uh, on the Canucks ice wearing, uh, you know, a Canucks jersey. Yeah. So uh, you know, I think he's probably going to be pushing pretty hard to try to, you know, make himself an option to another team over the next couple of weeks. And that could be playing part of this as well, Chris. I mean, he might be, you know, trying to, uh, yeah. you know, do a little bit more to get noticed a little bit more. And, uh, you know, he's still trying to shake off a little bit of rust. Like I said, I, I think, uh, you know, he probably could have sat out a few more games with that injury and that could be, uh, maybe kind of keeping him from being able to pull off, you know, some of the moves that he's trying to do out there. But, uh, I, I do think he's a guy that, uh, you know, he hasn't lacked for line mates this year. I mean, he's always yeah. had, uh, He's always had a, a Cole Lind or a Boucher or a Goldobin, uh, uh, you know, on his off wing there. Uh, he's not playing with the Dyson Stevensons and, and the Carter Banks and that kind of, that kind of uh, line mate down there. So there's, there's not really a lot of, uh, you know, excuses, so to speak, uh, for why he's not putting up points. Right. We'll have to see if he can bounce back on Saturday. But, uh, Corey, I'm glad you got the night off. We're going to let you go on that because, uh, no comments game. So, like, what did you have planned for your Friday night? I did a whole lot of nothing. Right on. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> I did a little. I did a little bit of uh, kind of looking ahead at the month. Uh, what we're looking at here for the comets. Uh, it's a bit of a bit of a light schedule. They've they've only got ten games this month, but every game is against a, a divisional opponent. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of this month, I think we're going to have a pretty good idea of whether or not the comets are in the playoff picture or not. The uh, the way the uh, the North Division is, uh, one win and and uh, you can be at the top of the division, and one loss you can be uh, out of the playoff picture. So, it's this month is going to be really important, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's tough when it's an important month like this, and you've got the McEwens, the Baileys, the Breezebois yeah. uh, up in Vancouver, and uh, you know, a couple of guys dinged up and injured. So, um, you know. Fingers crossed the Comets can get through this this uh, next little stretch here uh, on the right side of the win column because uh, I want to be covering some playoff hockey this year. Yeah, I absolutely want to be there with you, Corey. So I appreciate you doing this this week. Uh, we're coming on for another Ride in the Bus segment. And, uh, yeah, we'll do this again next week. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, thank you to Corey Herdow for joining us there for the Ride in the Bus segment, uh, my favorite Utica Comets segment out there. Uh, if you guys are looking for my favorite beer out there, go check out Parallel 49 Brewing Company beer. You can go check them out at 1950 Triumph Street. And I know I talk about a lot of the crazy beers that they have all the time. They have like 48 different beers on tap, a bunch of different IPAs and stuff. But if you're want, you know, if you a simple guy who likes his lagers, they actually have like a little 12-pack with three different kinds. They have the Pilsner, they have the IPA, and they have the lager, which are you know simple Parallel 49 beers. Uh, they're delicious. Delicious. I've had them there. I think all 5%. I know that the some of the beers get scare people off are like these 9.2% strong ones, which are absolutely delicious. The salted caramel one, if they still have it out, uh, I know it's kind of like a winter one. If that salted caramel one is out there, go try that. Uh, drink anything by Parallel 49. I haven't been disappointed yet. Uh, with every beer that they've sent me. Maybe that's because free beer tastes better. But if not, uh, it's because Parallel makes great beer as well. So go check them out, 1950 Triumph Street. They're in East Van. Or check them out. They're all at the BC Liquor Stores. You can find a ton of different Parallel 49 beers. So go out and try some. I'm just excited because the Seed Spitter is coming out for the summertime. That's their watermelon beer, which I've heard on Twitter is absolutely delicious. I love watermelon. I love beer. I'll probably love watermelon beer. So go out and drink some Parallel 49 beer and get excited for the Seed Spitter in the summertime. And another big shout-out to the presenting sponsor, Parallel 49 Brewing Company. Love that beer. 
for sure. Uh, Quads, before we close out here, uh, the thing that I wanted to quickly touch on was what do you think about where the Canucks are in their playoff spot? Obviously, leading the Pacific right now as we record this, 65 points. They're ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights who have one more game played in the Vancouver Canucks. They're at 63. And then the Edmonton Oilers have one game less than Canucks, and they're three points back at 62. So the Canucks are sitting in a good spot. Great home record. They're about to go back here into Sedine week, which is huge. And they're back at home for, I think, six games. Six game road home so, yeah. swing here. Um, this could set them up in a great spot. I mean, by the end of this road trip, they're going to be at 61 games played, 20 games left on the year, 21 if you want to be serious about it. But, you know, 20 games, give or take, left in the year after this homestand. How big is this homestand? This is huge. And you know what? It's Sedine Week. We'll be there on the retirement night, and I'm very excited for that. But, yeah, the Canucks, three-game losing streak. But you know who else had a three-game losing streak? The Calgary Flames. You know, they're getting some help because all the teams behind them, except for Vegas, that is, have been losing. And that is really helpful for the Canucks, who currently sit at 65 points at the time of this recording. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do in this week. You know, Sedine Week is going to be great. I don't know how much, you know, like a pregame ceremony affects on ice performance during the game. Oh, but I think Sedin it inv- night? for Sedin night, I think it invigorates them. Yeah. And if Elias Pettersson misses Sedin week, we riot. <laughs> I uh so I got an article dropping on Saturday uh before the home game against the Calgary Flames because if the Canucks can bang out these 3 wins in a row, not only will they get the franchise record for the most franchise franchise record for the most home wins in a row they will do it on the Sedin's night so if they come into that game if they win these first two and they come into the Sedin's jersey retirement night they have a chance to break the record for the Sedin's that night so if they win these first two games they're winning that third and that'll break the record for the most home wins in a row with 12 wow in a season very impressive did not know that stat. Yeah, got the article coming out uh, on Canucks Army on Saturday the other thing I wrote about was Vasily Pod Coles which I wouldn't mind talking about just a little bit from watching his game like Man, I think I've mentioned a lot about this kid, but the thing that's so impressive about him, we've talked about Bo Horvat, what he does on the power play. Like, I know that Pud Colson and Huglander get talked about a lot on jumping into this power play, but man, when Pud Colson gets here, he's jumping right into that first power play unit, right in front of the net, and he's going to be so effective in that spot. Like, he's he's excellent. He's playing in the KHL right now. Now that he's playing his past six games, he's been over 12 minutes in each game. He's starting to play a lot more. His line's starting to buzz with him a little bit. They're getting opportunities late in games. And, man, with the ice time, is coming the points. And it's just great to see Pod Colson kind of move up a little bit over the past little bit here. Um, did you write about anything else this week? I know you did your Passage yeah, to Bullis. I did the Passage Bullis launch of the Quadsome Player of the Week. And, of course, it was Quinn Hughes because why wouldn't it be? And I also <laughs> yeah. did the uh, snapshots about JT Miller leading the Canucks in hits. But he also leads them in Corsi. So it doesn't mean he's just throwing his weight around. <laughs> um which is good. Like the Canucks, you know, they haven't had a guy. I can't remember the stat I threw out, but the guy who led the team in hits has not once been in the top five for scoring. Oh wow! And right now, their their top leader in hits is a point per game player, and he's playing on the first line. So that's like a kind of a luxury that the Canucks haven't had really since like Todd Bertuzzi. But again, the NHL didn't start tracking hits officially until like the two thousand seven two thousand eight season, I think it was. Do you uh, do you have a favorite Sedin's moment as we're kind of going into Ooh. the week here? Honestly, their final goal, like yeah, it's hard to beat that with Coyote against the Coyotes, was like that was like whoa! It was kind of a nice bow on their illustrious careers, and it was really nice to see. And you know, Shorty's call of that, like man, there's so many great moments, like so many things that people called the shift, right? Like there's so many the shift, but I think that one was definitely. 
Yeah, that one sticks out the most for me, and it is for sure my favorite moment. Yeah, out of the two, like, or yeah, I mean, the the biggest moment I think for me was when um, the same year, like Henrik won the Art Ross and the Hart the same year, I believe. Right, like that was the year where he did both of them. That was that was unreal to watch that season because, like, you know, you know some of the years that these guys had were ridiculous. 112 points one year, you know, 94 points, and I think the the cool one that I like to talk about is that that 2008 2009 season where Daniel and Henrik both had 82 points. The funny thing about that, and I write about this in the article that I wrote, but in that season where the Sedins had the exact same amount of points as each other and as games played was the year that they set the franchise record for most home wins in a row with 11. So the wow. Canucks have a chance to beat that record on City night at home with this new core. It's like it's the perfect like passing of the torch to say like okay now it's your guys' turn to go on all these playoff runs and that's what I wrote about in the article. I'm really proud of the article that I wrote actually. Uh, so that's going to come out on Saturday. Um, don't really have too much else to wrap up this episode with aside from man like uh, we had so much fun on that pack opening. We went for oh 25 gosh, yeah. minutes opening 48 packs. We got some ridiculous cards uh, because of our friends at Zephyr Epic. Uh, I'll let you talk about Zephyr Epic since you've got them involved with us. Yeah, Zephyr Epic is our company. We love these guys <laughs> so much. They sent us a buttload of cards, and it was awesome. We were opening them up. I can it's... tell you were trying not to swear there, but buttload might sound worse. No, buttload's good. <laughs> a boatload of there cards, let's say, instead of buttload. <laughs> buttload. Uh, yeah, they sent us a bunch of cards, and it was awesome. We opened them all up. We got the Quinn Hughes Young Guns and the Quinn Hughes UD Portrait, which is awesome. Like We're really happy, and yeah, you can go check out Zephyr Epic, promo code Canucks Convo for $5 off your order. Free shipping on anything over $50. Go check them out. Right. Uh, yeah, I've definitely checked them out. Pokemon cards, magic cards, basketball cards, hockey cards, baseball cards. It's all on there, ZephyrEpic.com. You guys can check them out. Easiest way, if you if you can't get the spelling right, just go to Canucks Convo Twitter account, and it's one of the four accounts that we're following. Uh, you can quickly find it there, and their website's just available for them. They're also great customer service. I've dealt with them in the past, and like you order it one day, it's there the next day. You yeah. knew this in quads. like. Okay, you got to tell people like the the box that they sent over of those team triples was yeah. ridiculous. It, it was. They We're, sent us sixteen boxes of team triples. They and said like, like they liked the the live video of us opening packs. We're gonna keep doing that and. We're going to do that for a while now. Yeah, like we are very, very excited to be in this partnership for yeah. sure. Like we, we might have to do like a combination fit. where you know we bring a box of parallel forty nine in here. Oh yeah, bring a box of hockey cards and see what happens. Yeah, take a shot or t- slam back <laughs> one every time you get a uh, young guns. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> and I, I, I want to talk to Parallel about getting that uh, that shotgun Jake beer because like oh, man, yeah. it's such it's a great right idea. It's right there. It's low hanging fruit. We got to grab it. Yeah. I All also right. did want to mention though, people, please go go write a five star review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. We would really like that. And yeah, check out the Patreon. We're giving out free T shirts still to any Hero Tier members for the month of February. If you join up in February, we will send you a T shirt, a sticker, some Canucks cards and you'll have a chance to win a special piece of Canucks memorabilia which will be revealed later this month. Right, and we'll be sending out the uh, the puck that we got from the Alex Burroughs night. That's going to send out uh, rate and review. Some people don't understand how to rate and review. Super simple, and I know that you know a lot of people that are listening to this probably subscribe to the show, so it's a little bit more difficult, but if you just go to the search bar on your Apple podcast, click the search, search up Canucks Combo, and then just hit search. It'll pop up. Click the big picture of Canucks Combo. Then you'll be able to rate and review. Helps us a bunch, and we love reading your guys' reviews as well. 
Um, and as Quad just mentioned, yeah, we're going to be giving away T-shirts as well through February. We're about to send out, I guess, early next week. We're going to send yeah, out yeah. our T-shirts. So if you want to get in on this weekend, uh, just you know, sign up for the Patreon, ten dollar donation. And honestly, like, we'll send you the shirt at ten bucks. Then you could drop down to five if you want. If you don't want to pay ten dollars, yeah, it's month. fair enough. To be honest, like you got, you just got to donate the ten dollars one time. We'll send you a shirt. Um, so yeah, get involved with the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Canucks Combo. That basically wraps it up, man. Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. We had Al Murdoch. Big shout out to him. Thank you so much for joining us. This week's episode and like if you want to see that full 40 minute interview speaking of the patreon it's there for you um so my name is chris faber my co-host name is david quadrelli and thank you for joining us this week on the canucks conversation